Hello, hello, Paul. Come in. I'm uh, I'm Dr. Herfenstöpfner. What can I do for you today? Oh, Doctor, I can't sleep. I can't eat. All I can do is think about DC events that are still in continuity after Flashpoint. Oh, uh, when you say DC events, you mean like the comic book events? Yeah, the comic book events that still count in the New 52. Uh, oh, so you mean like uh, events like uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths? Uh, maybe. I'm, I'm not really sure. Okay, like uh, Invasion, maybe? Um, don't really know. Uh, the Genesis? Um, perhaps, who can say? Uh, so, so Paul, I, I think you have a rare case, one I've not ever seen before, uh, and uh, I believe you are obsessed with understanding the continuity of DC events in the New 52. Oh, what do you call this condition, Doctor? Uh, my, my friend, I, I, what you have, I'm going to call it uh, New 52 DCOCD. New 52 DCOCD? Yeah. What can we do about it? Uh, listen, I'm going to help you, my friend. Uh, we shall reboot a podcast to treat your new 52 DCOCD. Oh, oh. when shall we start? Right now. Our life together is so precious. Together we have grown. We have grown Although our love Is still special Let's take a chance And fly away Somewhere Alone It took me too long Since we took the time No one's to blame I know time flies so quickly Hello and welcome to DC OCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths back in 1985, if you can remember that one. And we are making our way into the future uh, bit by bit, uh, day by day. And today we have reached 2011, September 2011 in fact, which was the time of the launch of a thing called DC New 52. And to cover this epic thing, so this actually went from September 2011 through to June 2015, as far as the branding is concerned, and it was basically a line-wide relaunch of the DC Universe across the board. Or was it a relaunch? That's one of the things we're going to discuss and debate today. And joining me to do this, I have Herman Lowe from the Into the Weird podcast. Herman, how are you? Great. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) And we're also joined by Grant Richter, who does the Sentinel of Liberty podcast. So who better to talk about DC Universe than a Captain America Uber fan? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Grant was also (laughs) instrumental in getting uh, Into the Weird started So with Herman, so and he still helps out today behind the scenes. Yeah, Into the Weird is my alumni. (laughs) (laughs) So gentlemen, where, where do we begin with this? How do we try and say what it was? Okay, well, I'll go first, guys. I, I mean, just now that you mentioned uh, Grant's podcast, uh, Sentinel of Liberty, um, I was reminded of uh, Marvel Comics' uh, attempt called Heroes Reborn. Do you guys remember that? Ugh. Now, <laughs> that was <laughs> a <Totally>, yes. <laughs> monumental flop. 
You know, uh, Grant, you must have some strong feelings about that. Now, the new 52 is sort of DC's foray into those tepid waters, I think. (laughs) They're trying to relaunch everything, make it accessible to new readers. But um, I think ultimately it failed. So um, that's that's my comparison. Um, to really kind of encapsulate my feelings about the new 52, I have to go back and give some context because even though I'm primarily a Marvel person now, from about 2000 to 2010, I was almost exclusively DC. I was only reading like two Marvel titles during that time, both Captain America related. But like, you know, you had the wrap up of, uh, Robinson's Starman in the beginning of Jeff Johns' JSA and what Mark Wade was doing with JLA in the early 2000s and then, the countdown books that Paul, you already covered in the mid two thousands, which were, were amazing, mm. and then the late two thousands stuff like you know, the Sinistro Core War and Blackest Night and the Return of Barry Allen and all that, which was great. And then it hit this thing called Flashpoint, which is my least favorite trope in comic books, which is the broken reality, uh-huh. kind of like you know Age of Apocalypse and things like that. And I really don't like those. So when it hit, I was like, all right, and it affected all the books. So I took a break. I was like, all right, I'm going to take a break from DC. I'll come back when it's over and everything will be fine. Oh, <laughs> Everything's <laughs> back to normal. <laughs> no, not, not so much. So it was it was a jarring experience for me and sometimes enjoyable and a lot of other times not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, if you're uh, a DC reader, let's say pre-New 52, I personally didn't see anything wrong with any of the titles being put out before Flashpoint. I was enjoying uh, everything Jeff Johns did in the Green Lantern universe. I loved Superman, the Superman universe, the new Krypton stuff. You know, so I I didn't see the need for a relaunch. Obviously, I wasn't privy to the sales numbers that might have had an effect. You know, they're losing, well, out on the market share to Marvel, whatnot. But um, they wanted new readers to, to revitalize, you know, the comic industry and this is probably the best way to, to attempt to do that. But, you know, for me as an old fan, I can only speak for myself and saying I was shocked. You know, it was jarring suddenly having this new reality. But I was very excited, too. So, you know, um, from that perspective, I was already gearing up, you know, getting my finances ready to <laughs> support like uh, tons of new titles. And uh, that was kind of an exciting time, you know. So I and of course, because of the creators involved as well. You know, they got got some new guys like Jeff Lemire, um, you know, on board. And I was a big fan of his before New 52. So I was fully going to support everybody I liked. And um, unfortunately, you know, uh, in hindsight, a major disappointment. But, you know, um, yeah, so I didn't see the need. That's my point. I didn't see the need for them um, as an old fan to, to do a relaunch. Yeah. It's like right before New 52 came out was when it's like kind of the tail end of me going to the comic book shop I, like, I switched over to digital very shortly after but i remember going and picking up some books and then the, the owner he slipped like this uh like mini book into my stuff it was getting like a preview of what all the new 52 books were and i i was really really intrigued i don't know if i was necessarily excited or enthusiastic about it but i was really intrigued um to see what it was all going to be about because i remember this big you know then the comic book and he was like, well, is it going to be a relaunch? Is it going to be a reboot? You know, how is it going to work? And I don't think anybody still knows exactly if it was a relaunch or a reboot. Yeah. Mm. I remember a lot of excitement about hearing the creator teams being announced and pairing them up with books and going, okay, yeah, I, I like that. I like that combo. That sounds good and et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But as it, when it actually hit, I mean, 
there was a tremendous amount of oh okay um some of this isn't quite working and um i mean you've got to talk about the new 52 in context of the digital availability of it um it came out on um yeah. comicsology and you could actually you know you could wake up in the morning and download your comics in bed and, and, yeah. and read right. them and that was massive and you know there was a real decision of okay which ones am i going to buy physically and which ones am i just going to read <laughs> digitally and at the time um, you could use um Apple gift cards as well, so you could get discounts as, and then go for it, oh, yeah. you know, which is something they've eliminated to their detriment. Yeah, plus, you know, every first issue was like 99 cents, if I'm not mist- if I'm remembering. Yeah, so that was a huge deal. I was like, wow, I, I think I tried just about everything that first month, except maybe like Hawkman and Hawking of and like maybe <laughs> two or three other things I just knew I wasn't going to care about. But everything that looked even a little bit interesting, is like, man, I got I got twenty bucks to kill. Sure, here's twenty bucks. That's that was that was novel and yeah. you know they too bad it didn't last. <laughs> I think wasn't that also the very first time that um day and day digital releases coincided with, with the press releases, I think. Um with the floppies. I, I'm not sure about this though. Um we might have to do some research on this, but I think this is the first time because I remember buying digital before, you know, the new fifty two coming out sporadically. But I remember it always, you know, I had to get it later, mm. um, you know, and, and the, the prices were cheaper back then. Now everything's priced the same. You know, if you think right. about the modern day, it's every three ninety nine for every digital book. Yeah. But mm-hmm. back then, I remember it was a big deal because Justice League number one came out on the same day as the, the floppy. So I went into the store, you know, to get Justice League number one. And then, um, you know, the, the storekeeper told me you, you can also get it digitally. So I was like, just for the novelty of the situation, I, was, I also got it digitally. So I double dipped <laughs> and then, you know, was quite impressed back then. I really liked it, you know, especially with comiXology then being new to me and the whole, you know, um, reading experience of clicking through the panel. So, I, you know, I probably spent a whole lot of money on the, the floppies and the digital content. And I, I'm not even sure how much I did spend, but I must have spent $40 within, you know, that, that $20 um, a frame that I normally, you know, reserved for, you know, digital. Yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of money on this. I'm pretty sure there was only like three number ones I, ne- I didn't read. So. Wow. Yeah, I, c- I can see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Hawk and Dove. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah, Cancelled uh, the quickness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely. over. Wow. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I think it was only a few months before you started to feel that the, the bloom was off the rose and you could see some of the cracks. Um, as far as the inconsistency between titles, um, the the continuity that they wanted to have from the previous, you know, history of DC Universe, but it, it didn't quite fit. Um, particularly right. standout things like um, Batgirl. It was like, you know, uh, Killing Joke happened, but uh, she's better now. And, and was she ever Oracle? And it was really unclear. And they, uh, they were very cagey about answering some of these questions. And... Um, Basically, I think they were going, every story that we continue to sell that is successful counted, um, and everything that uh, didn't, it doesn't fit that category doesn't really count unless we decide it counts sometimes. Right. And, um, yeah, yeah I, it's interesting with the Batgirl thing because it's, I mean, that is one of the big mistakes of New 52 is getting rid of Oracle. Because um, Oracle, mm, I yeah. think, is such a important character, um, born out of trauma but triumphing over trauma. And as someone put it very eloquently the other day on Twitter, um, they've kept the trauma, but not the triumph. <laughs> so right. they can keep refer- retur- um, referring to 
Batgirl's encounter with um, the Joker, but they can't, you know, refer to her triumph over that and her building a new life and a new role. Um, yeah. So it's like the the characters inter- instantly sort of stuck in a regression. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's something I'd never understood because um, uh, some of the character universes, if you can, you know, say like a miniverse like Green Lantern and Batman, they weren't changed. They they kept the old continuity, presumably. So how could you, since you're keeping Batman's continuity, you know, how could you uh, get rid of Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown, but, um, you know, completely wipe them out from Batman continuity and from the Batman universe, but then, you know, keep Barbara Gordon and make her Batwoman again, um, and then still expect the readers to accept that. You know, so some parts of continuity were completely changed across the board, and then some were kept. So it's like cherry picking. I I didn't like that concept from the very beginning. You know, um, right. especially in the Green Lantern universe as well, because you know, if you if you compare the Justice League title, the Green Lantern in that title, Hal Jordan to the one that Jeff Johnson, Doug Monkey wrote. Um, two different characters, completely different characters, set in different universes, even. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, a lot of the timeline they tried to establish with the what they didn't change didn't make any sense. Like, basically, you were coming into this universe that had been around for about five years, so it's basically saying that everything that's ever happened to Batman, including like adopting Dick Grayson when Dick was like maybe twelve, and all this <laughs> happening between them, it's like, well, he's like twenty four now, guys. So it happened in. Yeah. Five years, right? That's yeah, what you're so. referring to. Yeah, there was a five-year like. Um, you remember the in the beginning, you could already see the the cracks starting to happen because right from the 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 first week or two, you know, after the re, the launch of the new 52, you you had this concept introduced with some titles are set five years in the past, some mm-hmm. titles yeah. are in the modern age. So how can Batman's entire history? be compressed into five years, <laughs> which is what they wanted us to believe. Yeah, it's a reckless use of Robins in that period, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they kept all that, the Robins. <laughs> that was one of the things that drove me nuts about it, because one of my favorite characters in the late 2000s was Tim Drake, especially yeah. once he took on the role of Red Robin, that you know the oh, identity yeah. that was established for for Dick Grayson in, in Kingdom Come, so like that invent that adventure comic series where it was between him and Connor Kent Superboy, and I love that version of Connor Kent. So they took Dick Grayson, they completely dismantled him. Um, they did s- that foolish thing with the, the like the psycho clone that he became in the New Fifty Two, and that that was really I think probably just the treatment of Tim Drake. And the way they treated a lot of female characters also was probably the most aggravating thing for me about the new 52, mm. especially you know, characters like Starfire, where she became hypersexualized. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So I was trying to find a way to put that delicately <laughs> in the way that like, like fatality in the new guardian series always are in around like a vest that was unzipped to her belly button. And <laughs> it was really fresh. And I love the new guardian series because I really like Kyle Rayner and I like seeing him like the forefront on a new series, but they messed that up. And then they, then they changed, you know, the when he met Ganthet, because you know originally he was just this loser that got picked at random. Then all of a sudden he's the chosen one. I'm like, no, that doesn't work. So 
Yeah, and it brings it back to the the heart of it is that it wanted to, you know, have its cake and egg it too. It wanted to be a restart. It wanted to be a jumping on point for new people, but it also wanted to, you know, make the old fans happy by, you know, keeping your favourites around. But most of your favourites don't make any sense if you're doing a reboot. Um, you know, if you're going to start again, you should start again. You know, there was no reason right. why we had a new origin for, for Kyle Rayner when... Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it it was tapped into the love everyone has for Kyle Rayner, and if you don't have that, it's like, well, who cares about Kyle Rayner suddenly? Um, and that's mm, the thing. Right. I, I feel like this was the first time in my comic collecting DC fanboy life that I was understanding how it felt for the Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, you know, refugees who, you know, were aboard the DC universe before that, and then they saw everything change because I understood suddenly, oh, this is what it likes when every, everything changes. And if you come on board after the changes, it's not as jarring because you're, you know, becoming familiar with things at that point. Whereas if you um, love and adore everything that comes before that, then it, it's a real shock to the system. Now we know how Roy Thomas felt after Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> All-Star Squadron said bye-bye. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. <laughs> Let's not be all negative. What, what were the high points of it for you guys? Grant, what, what were your favorite things? My, I like the horror-themed titles the best. Um, I really loved Scott Snyder's Swamp Thing, and I liked it even better when Charles Soule and Jesus Ayas took it over. Yeah. That was great. I liked Jeff Lemire's Animal Man. I wanted to like Justice League Dark more than I did. Because um, it had a really cool concept. I just couldn't stick with it. I liked the Demon Knights. But then I also liked a couple of the standard superhero books. I liked uh, Jeff John's Aquaman, and I really liked the the new Flash book that was coming out, even though I can't remember the creators, the names of the creators that were working on it. Those books were a lot of fun. So you had kind of like, you know, you had the dark, spooky stuff on one side and just bright, shiny, you know, not happy, but definitely just a lot of a couple of really fun books on the other end. Plus, of course, also uh, Snyder's Court of Owls uh, story arc in Batman was amazing. Mm. What about you, Herman? Well, I mean, this is a bit of a history lesson for for Grant and myself. This is actually how we met on Twitter, Grant. Remember, you were a big fan of the Swamp Thing, of the New 52. And at that point in time, you were blogging about it. And I read your blog on Swamp Thing because I'm a massive Swamp Thing fan. And I had not been reading a lot of New 52 Swamp Thing. I think this was... 2014, 2015, I'm not sure when. But um, the reason why I yeah, why I didn't read Swamp Thing, even though I'm a fan, is because they went back to the Alec Holland persona. But then after I started to read your blog, I started reading it, and I remember loving it. But, um, you know, I did have my favorite series as well. I think there were a lot of good things that came from the New 52. The horror, though, not so much, because I'm a huge Vertigo mark. And they folded in a couple of Vertigo characters and sort of toned them down uh, for the masses. You know, Constantine being one, John Constantine. And then, you know, Swamp Thing, though great, the series was great. I wouldn't, I mean, the the first five or six issues was horror. But then after that, it became event horror. Sort of like, you know, um, which I which is the kind of horror I don't like. I don't like it if, if, if the horror sort of mirrors the superhero universe. So... Um, I, I dropped off of that title probably um, in the early 20s or so. So I kept kept going with it quite a while. But um, I, I really love the superhero stuff. So, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman, I think, were complete successes. I loved Scott Snyder on Batman. I loved Greg Capullo's art. And then Wonder Woman was a complete revamp. Even though they kept some continuity, 
I think that's the best uh, representation of the Greek gods in DC ever done. I mean, no offense right. to George Perez. He went with the classics, but wow. I, I really loved what Cliff Chang and, uh, and Brian did with that. And uh, that was one of my favorite series. In fact, I might even say that's, that's even above Batman for me. The yeah, Wonder Woman really series. Yeah. Well, that was incredibly consistent from start to finish as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it felt like a complete story arc from the first issue to the very last issue. You know, everything everything wrapped up nicely for me. So I, I think that's probably the only new 52 series I completed. <laughs> other than Batman. Other than Batman. Okay, Batman I completed. But but I ended up buying the trades at the end, you know, to, to finish off that one. And then, you know, I remember really loving Earth 2. Uh, which a lot of people seem to, you know, not enjoy as much. I that introduced me to the art of Nicholas Scott, who's an Aussie, right? Yes. Uh, Paul. Yep. And um, I love that series. I, I I loved it more for the art than the writing. But James Robinson, you know, I'm a huge fan of. So, you know, he he did some good things there. But I, I felt like he was a bit hampered by editorial. He couldn't do exactly what he wanted. And then and then Aquaman was also great. I think you mentioned him as well, Grant. Um, yeah. That sort of gave us the more powerful version of Aquaman, which I think he always should have been. You know, he should be on a level with characters yeah, like the, the one that Submariner. could take a 45 slug to the forehead and yeah. just blink it off. Yeah, that... <laughs> so I like that series because of the politics in it. And I know a lot of people, you know, when it gets to the politics in that series, feel like it's slugged down. I like, uh, like political fantasy and political sci-fi, so I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, well, I mean, um, that's one part of it. There's so many things to like about that book, you know. Um, Aquaman. I, mean, I think that's what what makes every bit of these books great. You have some horror in Wonder Woman, but you also have the superhero thing, and then you had a lot of horror in Batman. But they also, you know, play around with in the superhero universe. So, you know, these books sort of they weren't just the horror titles. I mean, if you think about Justice League Dark, which is a great concept, that sort of fizzled out for me because eventually it's a it's a team of supernatural superheroes fighting other supernatural villains. It's not really horror. You know, for me, I, I, if I think about horror, I mean, you know, I, I want full on blood and guts and that's one thing an animal man, in fact, delivered on that, you know, but um, then there were some throwaway titles which I really enjoyed, like Frankenstein and the Agents of Shade. That title, I, I loved it. Coming out of, you know, the Frankenstein miniseries from Flashpoint, I was ready for more Frankenstein in the DCU and even earlier back with Seven Soldiers of Victory. Um and they gave it to us. So I was really happy with that. And then later series, too, like uh, Justice League 3000, which I thought I was at first going to hate <laughs> because this was sort of the poor man's Legion of Superheroes, I thought, you know, or Legion of Superheroes at that point in time had not worked. It had been canceled. And I thought this was their way of keeping the 31st century in the DC universe, in the new 52 universe. And then I was pleasantly surprised. I, I loved what they did. Uh, Keith Giffen, I think, and J.M.D. Mateus, maybe. Yeah. yeah, and then Howard Porter right. from, from Justice League fame. I, I loved that series. So, the yeah. The series I, I really liked that I, I forgot to mention was All-Star Western. I really enjoyed oh, those Jonah Hex stories. Yes. I know those were so good. I yeah, had like, just yeah. discovered Weird West fiction, mm. like in like novel form. <laughs> reason, like stuff like Joe Hill. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. Mm. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, Joe R. Lansdale. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. the guy, the weird fiction guy. Yeah, I love that. Moritat, that, that artist. Mm. I, I've never seen him before. And then, you know, I became a huge Moritat um, fan because of that series. And But, you know, I did kind of also, uh, that's why I didn't put that as one of my favorites, uh, Grant, because 
you know, the previous series before the New 52 of Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray doing Jonah Hicks proper. Wow, that series series was gritty. It was it was it hit hard as nails. And then, you know, they sort of had to dumb that down a bit, too. Not dumb it down, tone it down, because um, now suddenly Jonah Hicks was playing in the New 52 universe. He was in Arkham Asylum, or, or he met the founder of Arkham Asylum, and um, he was in Gotham, you know, in the 19th century. So I, I sort of, you know, I, I liked it in the beginning, but afterwards I just wanted the old Jonah Hicks back, you know, the, the tales of him being uh, a completely irredeemable bastard. <laughs> he, he, he still was that a little. He still was that a little, but not as bad as... The, as you know, good as the previous series. I guess for me, I mean, uh, many of the titles that you guys have mentioned are right up there for me, like Swamp Thing and Animal Man and Aquaman and definitely Wonder Woman. Um, I should mm. acknowledge, though, that if people who had a certain idea of Wonder Woman were pretty um, ticked off by that series as far as what it did to the Amazons. Um, yeah. Yeah, but um, the universe recovered from that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but other series that really stood out for me, um, I, Vampire. That was a really good one. Um, I oh, love the yes. art in that. Yeah, that and, started out really strong. Yeah, yeah, and it was Great quite. Art. Ended up being only about fifteen issues. Um, the OMAC run was not successful, but I thought um, it was a success of storytelling and visual style. I really liked that one. And, loved that, yeah. Yeah, further down the line with the um, New Fifty Two, I, I really loved Dial H by China Melville. Um, that mm-hmm. was terrific. There was a really good short vibe series that was pretty terrific um gotham by midnight did any of you read that nope no i think i had already i think i already checked out by then yeah me too (laughs) yeah that was um ben templesmith on the specter in uh you know and with police as well so that was you know really strong stuff um uh, worth revisiting yeah and um i was a massive starman fan so i really enjoyed the shade uh, miniseries or maxi series that came out that was 12 issues by um yeah i forgot about that a lot of different artists on that, but that could have happened anyway. That, that was one of the things that was such a toss-up for me because it was it was such a good series, but it didn't it didn't gel with the fact that Jack Knight didn't exist in the universe anymore. <laughs> so I'm like, well, where does this fit exactly? But yeah, I, I really like that 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 Maxi. That was great. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of stuff there, but I mean, there were 52 titles. It was way too many, and um, it was I mean, not only was it too many to try and read and uh, keep going with i think it was too much for dc editorial like there was so much inconsistency as far as um all these stories were coming out of basically writers at war with their editors over what was happening and uh you know george perez had a superman book and no one could tell him what superman's continuity was because they was taking its cues from a grant morrison superman book which wasn't really nailed down in the present day so uh, you know things mm. were just adrift and people were getting really ticked off on the creative side i mean sterling gates is a great writer but i was hearing you know just the frustration that was coming through in writing um hawk and dove and trying to you know do something that was sort of reconciled with the old series and you know you've got um an artist who like rob leefield who's trying to flex his creative muscles as far as the direction of the story and it's just a fight behind the scenes and some things like there were some things i thought were a good idea and they really could have gone somewhere like blackhawks was basically dc's gi joe comic um and you know they had the right writer on it um the art was sort of okay but uh 
Yeah, which just was unsupported and, um, you know, everything was being changed by editorial and, uh, you know, I mean, the writer had left in a huff, which was really disappointing because, you know, it, I mean, it was goofy mm. and fun, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't allowed to grow and, you know, everything just started to feel very half-baked as it came out, um, you know, and we've got to mention the Wildstorm characters getting folded into the DC universe, which... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Stormwatch, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And the Voodoo and Grifter. Oh yeah, that was very disappointing. You know, I I I I thought Voodoo kind of worked. You know, even though she was sort of an analog of, of the New Fifty Two Starfire, actually, she was, you know, using her sexuality in in, in ways that you think, whoa, is this is this is this a Vertigo comic or? But um, you know, um, I just read the first two issues of Voodoo. Stormwatch, however, was a big disappointment for me. Other than the art of what's the guy's name, Miguel Sepulveda, I really like his art. I just didn't find that it was as good as when Stormwatch was set in the in the Wildstorm universe, or even the Authority, you know. And and they right. made they made a big deal of Alan Scott being gay in the Earth Two storyline, but they did almost nothing with Midnighter and Apollo, you know. In right. so so wh- why, you know, is it just the writer? I mean, is he squandering a chance to 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 say something there? I don't know. But um, and and the stories were just not compelling. I mean, it was basically Justice League in space, you know, before before Justice League had, you know, their own space station headquarters in this universe. So uh, for me, uh, it didn't really work. Um, But the art was great. That's that's all I can remember. I I really like the art. Yeah. The one thing that Stormwatch series did is it actually got me to go back and read uh, The Authority, which, Mm. of course, is amazing. I was, you know, if they were going to fold all these Wildstorm characters in, I was so disappointed that Planetary didn't get folded. That was my favorite Wildstorm series. Yeah. They were the only thing I really liked from, and it's because it's Warren Ellis. And man, mm. if they had managed to get Warren Ellis in on some of these titles, I think it would have made a huge difference. Yeah, maybe they did, and he just looked at the plan and said, "I was kind of happy they didn't." Yeah, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Warren Ellis, you know, yeah, he was—he might have been sore that he wasn't included because, or, or, you know, obviously he didn't want to be included. But I think he commented on the fact that when DC released their sales numbers in 2011 or 2012, he commented on the fact that. The, those sales numbers are not accurate because most of those books are returnable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, um, he was feeling sore about something or, you know, maybe he was just trying to wake us up to the fact that it's not actually that great. And, um, you know, another thing is I, I'm kind of glad they didn't touch all the, the characters I love because, you know, I wasn't very invested in the authority when I first read it, you know, in the Wildstorm universe, but I was like you, Grant, very invested in planetary. I really don't want them to do what they did to the authority characters. I don't want them to do that to, <laughs> That's true. to the planetary yeah. guys. But, you know, if, like you say, if they had Grant, uh, Warren Ellis along, you know, hey, it might have worked. Who knows? I mean, uh, if he could have gotten past editorial, because this seems to be the biggest problem that most of these writers had. It's editorial. I mean, wasn't there that, that story where, uh, who was it, J.H. Williams, he wanted to marry you know, Batwoman. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to, to yeah. have a wedding between Mass or and Batwoman. And then at the very last moment, the, the editor stepped in and said, no, no, we can't do this. And then yeah. after uh, that, they were off the title. That was the main reason they quit. You yeah. know, the creative mm-hmm. team left the title. So, I mean, that might have happened with Warren Ellis. And, you know, guys like Warren Ellis, they won't stand for that. So, yeah, I think yeah. this editorial environment, he wouldn't have lasted or wanted to last. That's why I'm surprised Grant Morrison... He was probably given 
leeway to do whatever he wanted because he's right. like you know so valuable to the to, to DC uh, at least at that point in time. So he didn't seem to, I mean, have a lot of problems with that. He did what he wanted, and that caused problems. <laughs> so it's yeah, like right. the opposite effect. Uh, I think that kind of hits the point of like maybe why New 52 didn't resonate a lot. It seemed to be almost a thematic dumbing down where it was because I know they were trying to bring on new readers and that they were probably going with new readers will be teenagers maybe. I don't know. But it just Mm. feels like between the way that they gave their female characters less agency, that they – characters were LBGT in name only and not in – you know, not in – practice i guess you know yeah you know what i mean um it and it, i don't know it just seemed like they were trying to distance themselves from anything that was really deep and i don't know it, it's disappointing you know like i i very highly you know value uh lbgt representation in comics and you know i think it's awesome that they have that woman uh, but they don't seem to that's kind of like their their flagship character for LBGT representation, they don't really do a whole lot with it, uh, just from my perspective. Mm. Yeah, that's my point with Midnighter and Apollo as well, Grant. You're exactly yeah. right. They had the chances to to say something really meaningful. They didn't. Not just with the LGBT angle, with many, many different angles, too. I mean, they, you know, they got political, but that didn't work out. You know, they, they tried to go all, you know, uh, philosophical with Grant Morrison's multiversity that did work out kind of, you know, if you think about it, you know, the nature of comics and all of that. But, you know, ultimately, that was something that was already brewing before, you know, the new 52. So that was just Grant Morrison sort of fulfilling his contract before he said, I'm out of here. Yeah, you know, so right. that precious little to do with the new 52 for me. But, you know, the point is, um, everything they tried sort of ultimately didn't work. But there's one thing that might have worked, and I'm not sure because we we won't ever know accurately the numbers involved. I think it might have served as a platform for new for new uh, young teenage readers, uh, a very small amount maybe. But I think it might have worked because you know there was no you know uh, continuity tying them down. Yeah. You know which which might have been a mistake. Uh, you know in uh, let's say a decade beforehand when suddenly they had to jump into an event like let's say. A final crisis and um, who are all these people yeah you know how, how can you jump onto an event like that but um, you can say that from for the new 52 now too you know let, let's say for instance in 2016 or, or what was it 2014 you want someone to jump onto forever evil that's easy because they just have to buy like 20 odd issues before that but right but, but now if you want someone to <laughs> a new reader to enter the DCU what are you going to give them rebirth and they're going to say rebirth from what, what rebirth from what rebirth from what yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what came before yeah you know so they still have to go back and read all that stuff so it didn't work in the end maybe a, a brief sales injection in 2011 i would say when they had eight of the top 10 titles and that's all and then they kind of had to scramble to to you know make it work again very similar to marvel in the early 1990s you know with x-men 1 and all of those those yeah. big releases they they wanted to to kind of keep doing that. And that's very hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I think, like I say, if we look back, it was a massive flop. And I think if you look at it from the perspective of what their target audience probably was, like if I could, you know, I could put myself in the perspective of what I liked when I was 15 and a lot of the new 52 stuff would have absolutely been right in my 
right in my wheelhouse when I was a you know a young teenager. As someone who's in his late thirties at the time, though, I'm like, eh, this just isn't for me, you know. And, and again, that's that's just, you know. And I know a lot of people complain about this. Like older fans felt like, well, I, I feel like I've been abandoned for the next generation. <laughs> mm. I would have loved Deathstroke when I was 15. That Deathstroke title would have been <laughs> oh yeah, the best thing ever. Great. Yeah, yeah. The the first four issues I read, that was amazing. Who was the artist on that? I remember the art was really like. Standout. I, I forget. Joe Bennett. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's also one of the the, the the series I bought, and I don't know why I dropped off of that. That's one of the the ones that I've. I I remember liking it, but I don't know why I didn't continue with it. It might it might have been a money thing. Mm. No, I might have like just that, run out of cash. <laughs> like that revamp of Hawkman would have would have absolutely worked for teenage me. Oh, big angry guy with a mace and claw things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lie all the time. I don't right. lie with. Bloody congealed feathers. <laughs> yeah. But there's some real head scratches like the Blue Beetle and Resurrection Man, that, which, you know, basically made no sense if you didn't count what came before, and they didn't. And, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, I my overall problem with it, and I think I, I, would, I like to armchair diagnose, I think it didn't have a story bible, and I didn't think it was uh, created by creators. It was created by editorial. Um, so the whole mm. plan yes. was pretty much, you know, you go off and do these bit, and they have these little divisions of um, books, and you know, there's the Dark Universe, the Superman, the Batman, and there were way too many Batman titles with different creative things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I have a little list of low points here, so um, <laughs> let's go through these. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Number one, Skinny Amanda Waller. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, yeah, that doesn't work. Come on. Yeah. That's a total misunderstanding of Amanda Waller. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. That's funny, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's blasphemy. Um, cutting off the Joker's face. You know, it it was Ooh. a cool stunt, but no one really knew what to do with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the most important character of the New 52, Pandora. Pandora, everyone. Oh, dude, what happened I to never, her? I never got that far. <laughs> <laughs> I never... I mean, no, no, I... I got that far. I just don't know what what were they trying to do there. Kind of like, yeah. kind of. Uh, she was sort of serving the role of. Oh man, now I've forgotten the name of. Do you remember Crisis on Infinite Earth? There was this one Pariah. character, Pariah. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Thanks, Grant. Pariah. She she sort of should have served the role, or even if you if you want, she could have been Harbinger to a to a certain degree, you know. Yeah. But but uh, Pariah is probably a better comparison. But still, she was there for absolutely no reason because this was not a crisis of, of, on infinite earth situation where you know the the universe was in danger of you know being destroyed this was a new universe being born why was she there shepherding in the new universe no it didn't work yeah. so yeah thank thank goodness she's gone i hope she died a very ignominious death she did she gets blasted to death in the rebirth special <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay, we've touched on non-Vertigo John Constantine. Um, we've got Skinny Lobo. Anyone remember Skinny Lobo? Uh, I remember yeah. Skinny Lobo, yeah. Emobo. Yeah. yeah. Emobo. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it reminded me of, uh, what's the the Twilight Empire guy? What is his name? Edward? And, yeah. uh, the new yeah. Batman. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Why go that way? What's Lobo for? I mean, I love Lobo. I know, Grant, you don't have any feelings towards Lobo, I but I no. really love Lobo. And they did that to him. It was just another nail in the coffin for me. Yeah. Um, we had uh, Batgirl, of course, not non-Oracle Batgirl. Um, yeah. We've got The New Secret Six was a terrible disappointment. Oh, um, that was, yeah. 
Oh, I didn't read that. Didn't capture anything I loved about the old Secret Six, and Gail Simone came back and didn't have the old continuity to rely on. So, um, I, yeah, it just sort of was in free fall, that one. Like the old Secret Six, you know, the Gail Simone's was like one of the highlights for me of late 2000s DC, and just to see it flounder like that was, it, it hurt a little bit. Yeah, that was a top three book before um, Flashpoint, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A very boring relaunch of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, oh yeah, that was that was a mess. Earth Two was actually um, I talked to James Robinson about this um, a few years after, and he said that they were working on a JSA relaunch that was going to be set in the forties. Uh, him and Nicholas Scott, and then that was scrapped and retooled as Earth Two. And he said neither of them were really invested in it, and it wasn't what he wanted to do. And uh, he said. Nicola had done all this design work and everything, and it would have been amazing. So that's very disappointing to know about. Um, the Martian Manhunter, where did he go in the New 52? He sort of just, you know, lost all his previous role with the um, the J- JLA. Mm. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah. At one point in time, they were even using him to to sort of curb Superman. So he was like an alien working for the government in the Justice League of America title, and then he was also you know, the leader of the Stormwatch gang. And he, he's one of the examples of two character, uh, a character in two different titles that don't make any sense because they're not the same character. They're not being written by the same people. And they're completely different, different personalities, similar to Hal Jordan in the Justice League, yeah. um, you know, from his Green Lantern title. It's just uh, no editorial, you know, cohesion there. Yeah. Um, what else we got? There were very few um, creator voices of females or people of colour. It was very, yeah, it was very white vanilla um, retread of stuff, yeah. which is mm. very unfortunate. Agreed. And the way it ended, I think it was a terrible decision because I was so disillusioned by it. And then they go and create these three bi-weekly books. So you had Future's End, you had Batman Eternal, and you had the Earth 2 World's End. Um, and they were all, hmm. you know, we categorised these as the 52 done wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just overloading your dollar. And it's like, you know, I I was really aboard with uh, Scott Snyder's Batman. But as soon as Batman Eternal got involved in it, I was like, I, no, I can't keep up with this. And there's, you know, there's things happening in Batman Eternal that I am not going to read and I don't care about. And they're affecting the main book. And it basically, you know, poisoned the well for me, um, at the, mm. you know, when I'd stuck so far with them. So... Yeah. Anyway, well, let's play a couple of promos, and then we'll come back and talk about the scoring of this sort of thing. Adventures into the unknown. Tales from the crypt. Skeleton hand. The haunt of fear. Dark shadows. Vampirella. The haunted tank. The heap. Eerie. Swamp thing. Weird Mysteries Tomb of Dracula Tales of the Unexpected Werewolf by Night The Demon Man-Thing Monster of Frankenstein Brother Voodoo The Son of Satan Night Force The Living Mummy The Sandman Tomb of Darkness Evil Ernie Saga of the Swamp Thing Flinch Hellblazer Thirty Days of Night Preacher The Walking Dead 
What do these titles have in common? All of them, from Adventures into the Unknown, to Tales from the Crypt, to the House of Mystery, to the Tomb of Dracula, may be found in the Long Box of Darkness. I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me every Monday night for a journey into comic book horror as we delve into the secrets of the Long Box of Darkness. So listen if you dare, puny mortals, to the Long Box of Darkness, available on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. And check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. Good night, and pleasant screams. <laughs> And now it's the part of the show where we score this uh, this event, this thing that is the new 52. And the way we do that is we have uh, four different categories. These are uh, um, eventiness, how eventful is it? Um, then we do the writing, how good is the writing? How good is the art and the covers is the next category. And then finally, the impact and legacy of it. And this is incredibly hard because we're encapsulating uh, 52 comics and all the ones that came after that, so maybe 100 comics or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know... How do you score the art across that? But we're going to try, aren't we? So um, in this case, to get a score out of 100, right. uh, Grant and Herman will do scores out of 10, and I will also do a score out of 10, but we will halve my scores at the end, and I will be the semi-OCD for this, uh, the least important person in this process. And that will give us a score out of 100, and then we will chuck it on the table and see where it fits amongst everything. So, um, okay. Herman, where do you think it is in terms of... Uh, Eventiness. All right. I have two different scores, you know, because I'm <laughs> vacillating between what to do here. Because as an event, you know, uh, we're, we're scoring it now so we can look back on it. And is it even an event? I guess it is. I mean, it's it's tied to Flashpoint. So at first, when when I thought about it, I said, oh, I got to I got to give this a nine because it's such a massive uh, endeavor, you know, a complete relaunch. I mean, the last time we saw this was with with Crisis of, of in, on Infinite Earths. But if you think about it, the uh, storylines following on Crisis of in, on Infinite Earths, there wasn't really an event for those, if you know what I mean. It was just yeah. John Byrne, Superman, and everybody going in their own direction. But um, this is the first time since a major event like Flashpoint, which can be analogous to Crisis on Infinite Earths, where we've got an event that, you know, sort of launches the, the whole universe. So... Because of that, I I went a little bit lower than nine. I said seven because it is a pretty big deal. It was a pretty big event if you if you look at it as one complete thing. Even though ultimately in my mind it, it failed, um, I think it it did. Uh, let's say for instance you look back, you know, on the history of comics, you'll definitely remember the New Fifty Two maybe as a failure, but there were there was a period of four or five years where it sort of consumed the market. Or at least um, not just, you know, in terms of, of money being made, but later on in terms of, you know, you know how is this going to play out? How are they going <laughs> to recover from this this the, this this collapse? So, you know, for me, I'll, I'm going to have to go for the seven for eventiness. 
Right. What about you, Grant? Mm, this is really hard because um, I can look at the new 52 as a whole. One thing, either the new 52 as a whole is not an event. It's a state of being. <laughs> or <laughs> you can look at the entire run of the new 52 as one massive temporary event. Um, and if you take into effect like the hype that surrounds an event, when you take that into account and whether or not it meets the expectations. So I'm going to go, with, I'm going to say the whole run of new 52 was one massive event. And, it definitely made it as far as the height, but I don't know if it made it as far as the follow through. So I'm going to go with a six. Right. Mm. I'm a harsh critic. <laughs> and for me, I th- I think it's huge. I think it was a really, really big. You know, the first exi- the excitement of the first few months was palpable and infectious, and I think it was you know a really crazy time. So I think as far as the scope of it, um, the ambition of it. Um, you know whether it's successful or not. The fact that you had digital comics coming out of it as well—it uh, was a really, really epic change. So I'm going to go bigger than both of you and give it a nine. Um, yeah, okay. but mm-hmm. I'm just warning you—I'm going to be super harsh at the back end when we get to Impact Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, it might be the same for us here. Yeah. Now that's my original score—the nine. So yeah, <laughs> Look, we can accept that. <laughs> Um, what about the writing, Grant? Where do you feel that is? <laughs> I think, even though the writing was all over the place, I think the good writing counterbalanced the bad writing very, very well. You know, like I think Scott Snyder probably carried a good portion of um, of the New Fifty Two. Even though Jeff Johns' writing wasn't where it was in the 2000s, like his JSA in the in the early, mm. in the 2000s was trying to like put together a grand unified theory, which was great, but it was still good. Um, in the you know Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire and Azarello and all that. So I'm gonna, you know, not counting the stuff that was awful because I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's the pennies and the stuff like. Like Snyder and, and Johns and Azarello, those were all like the, the fifty cent pieces. So I'm going to give it about about an eight. Mm, generous, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I don't go generous, I'm, I'm, if I don't go some generous, I'm going to like drag this thing completely down into the <laughs> turn oh, really I know what hard you mean, some positivity. No, I know what you mean. What about you, Herman? What do you think? Okay, well, I I think the writing wasn't given a chance to shine because of the editorial problems we mentioned earlier. I mean, it, uh, it's not just how you write; it's also what you write about. So, if if that if if you're a creative person and that is constantly blocked, or there's constantly hurdles being thrown up in front of you when you coming up with these new ideas. Case in point, the Batwoman, you know. J.H. Williams wanting to, to introduce the, the marriage storyline there, um, you're not going to be able to write. So this is more of an editorial concern, but I'm saying some writers did a really good job. I'm, I'm citing what Grant said, Scott Snyder. He did a really good job on Swamp Thing and a great job on Batman. But that's because there weren't any of the same editorial constraints on them. So you can't really you know, objectively analyze the writing here. I can only subjectively do that because I had my favorites, but ultimately it didn't work out. Like one of my favorite writers, James Robinson, he was writing Earth 2, but it didn't feel like James Robinson. You know, even though he's not the same person he was when he wrote Starman, you could still see moments in that comic where you, you could see glimpses of the greatness he had when he was doing Starman because it, it might have been unconstrained. 
or it was a point that the editors didn't care about. So for me, I'm going to have to give the writing a six because they, the writers weren't allowed to shine and they, they couldn't seem to get past, you know, editorial. So, you know, obviously I'm going to have to take the writing into account as the end product after editorial mangled it. So yeah, I'm going to have to give it a six and that's being generous already for me. Wow. Well, I'm going lower. I'm giving it a two, uh, four, a four. Sorry, I went to my half score already. Um, and I thought, yeah, literally what you guys said, it's um, sabotaged by editorial. And I think I know, I can think of half a dozen books where editorial basically um, shot the shot the book dead. Uh, things like Fury of Firestorm, the uh, Justice League International, the yeah. <laughs> Hawk and Dove, Savage Hawkman, <laughs> um, Legion Lost, Static Shock. That was, you know, that was the comeback of Static, and it got completely killed by editorial interfering with the writer. Um, mm, so, right. and, and these things were just—they were basically stillborn, unfortunately. You know, they had no chance. And there are other things that, I mean, some of the writing I just think was uninspired because people didn't have what they could rely on to fall back on and the continuity in the history of the character. Like uh, the Nightwing book was one that I was really excited to read, and then I just. I, it was wasn't Dick Grayson. There was something missing there, and it, Dick Grayson, with all, all his history with the Titans and Batman and everything, is just—it's not the same thing. It's not right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking, I'm I'm thinking that uh, editorial basically did a good job on some lines, um, and some writers were basically given their space and said, you know, create as you want. But others were really hamstrung and uh, interfered with, and. Um, yeah, we did get a lot of uh, writer-artists who weren't um, Matt Wagner, if you know what I mean. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm giving it a four. Good point. <laughs> now, as far as the art, the, I mean, the art in the New 52, there's some that's fantastic. Greg Capullo coming on to Batman and, um, you know, what we saw in Swamp Thing and Animal Man and Aquaman and Wonder Woman in particular, there were some really strong books there. So the, I think the art... Uh, comes off better than the writing across the board, and uh, it's harder for editorial to interfere with art. I think when it's good. Yeah. So art-wise, I think it's pretty strong. So I'm going to give it a seven for the art. Um, mm. What about you, Herman? Yeah, I went even higher than that. I I'm going to give the art an eight, just because you know I I tried to look at this again from an outsider's point of view, and I went to Pinterest. I don't know if you guys use the app, and I typed in new 52 covers because I wanted to get a sense of, you know, the complete, you know, um, uh, uh, covers and then some of the interior art and so forth. And um, ultimately the art is just blah, you know, it just doesn't work for me if you, if you look at it as a whole, but my favorite titles on the other hand, which, which at the end of the day might've been eight or nine or so of the titles overall that all had great art, great covers. So, you know, from my personal experience with the new 52, I'm going to have to give it an eight. I mean, Ivan, Ivan Heiss, or I think that's how you pronounce his name, Cliff Chang, yeah. you know, on Wonder Woman and Ivan Heiss on Aquaman and, and Justice League. And like you said, Greg Capullo on, on Batman. These are all the titles I was reading. Even Doug Monkey on, on Green Lantern. Um, those are some of my favorite guys. And then you have Travel Foreman on Animal Man and he really, uh, brought it all. And then Yildirai Sinar, this is the first time I was introduced to that guy in Swamp Thing. Um, right, Grant, you you introduced mm-hmm. him to me, and yeah. I was blown away. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. so if I look at the smallest handful of titles that I ended up loving, this is what I'm going to use for this score, um, if, if you guys don't mind. So I'm going to go for an eight. 
Oh, and uh, I don't know if any, any of you guys were reading DC Universe Presents Dead Man. Yeah. Now, that series wasn't very good, but the covers by Ryan Sook, who's I think he's now doing Legion of Superheroes. Yeah. Uh, th- those covers are jaw-dropping, and they're, they're horror-based. They're amazing. Just for, for the uh, listeners who don't know, just Google Ryan Sook New 52 covers, and you'll see what I mean. So, yeah, yeah I'm going to have to give it an eight. I'm right there with you. Um, there, I'm I'm right there in an eight as well. There, despite some style, some costume choices that were made, and I have to say that that was editorial. Um, there, none of the books except Hawk and Dove had really bad art. Um, subtle dig, um, because <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, like I, I don't like Jim Lee as a as a as a storytelling artist but he does really great pinups and he has he he does the same thing that george perez does where he creates a costume that only looks good when he draws it and when anybody else draws it it doesn't look quite as good so he designed a lot of the new justice league costumes with a couple exceptions weren't great but and you know and again there's a thing where you know starfire is wearing even less clothes than she did in the 80s and and some stuff like that but again those are those are aesthetic choices, but as far as the talent that went into them, none of the books, with that one exception, looked bad. Um, and so I think editorial brought it down, but I think the level of talent kept it at an eight. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we come to the impact and legacy, which is, um, yeah. Oh, can I go last, guys? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> All right, Grant, let's hear what you think. Okay, so as far as impact, it obviously had a massive impact. It changed their entire universe. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I kind of stopped collecting New 52 and DC in general about two years into the New 52. It, it seems like almost all of it's been undone or at least rewritten in a new way. So the impact is, I mean, the impact was tremendous, but the legacy is really seems to be lackluster. So I'm going to put it like right at a five. It's like mm. the one, the one counterbalance the other out completely. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So my turn, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So when it first came out, obviously the impact was massive, but then at the tail end of the new 52, you had convergence, futures end. And then ultimately rebirth, which sort of com- rendered everything that came before it obsolete, completely, you know, uh, nullified the entire impact of the initial launch. So, I, I well, I, I'm going to tell you guys how I got to my score. I'm actually taking impact and legacy separate, and then I'm going to take the difference between the two to go, to tell you how I come come to my score, which is impact. I'm going to give it two. Because of the fact yeah. that everything is rendered moot, and then legacy, it's only fitting that that for a, a relaunch that completely ignored the legacy of the characters and the DC universe that came before, except for Batman and Green Lantern, but that doesn't really matter because you know as a whole they didn't really focus on those characters' legacies in the comics, but none of the superheroes had a legacy, especially guys like Superman. Their legacy was ignored. So because of that, the fact that they gave no legacy to the characters, I'm going to give the legacy of the New 52 a zero. Wow. Because, well, everything, everything's everything been undone. 
again by rebirth. And it only lasted four years. If you think about it, everything after Crisis on Infinite Earths lasted at least 20, 25 odd years before they started messing with it. So that was successful, that relaunch. This relaunch, four years in, or what was it, 2016, I think it was when Jeff John started with Rebirth, right? Yeah, yeah. 16, yeah. So, so four years of, well, five years of, of I'm saying as Remember a whole. 2000. Yeah. So it, now listen to this. Since I gave Impact a two and Legacy a zero, <laughs> I'm going to have to give the, the whole a one. <laughs> That's how I'm going to go with it. It has absolutely no, you know, I, I, I just want to forget about it. Yeah. And take those titles that I loved and see them as they could have been done without the new 52, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, Superwoman and, and Batman and those things. So, yeah, the new 52 was totally, you know, unnecessary. Oh, wow. One. Wow. <laughs> One. Yes. Okay. okay. Well, I'm giving it a two. I, I think the uh, legacy impact. Uh, the impact is completely overwhelmed by the legacy <laughs> as far as and I don't think I've ever seen a separation between the two as you pointed out there Herman um, yeah it, it's it's very strange and I think this was a, um, a relaunch that DC were literally apologising to retailers about a few years later um, mm. yeah and the rebirth special is it's nothing but a, an apology I mean the fact that Pandora gets blasted you know is completely irrelevant to the story it's just symbolic and it's basically uh, look we made a massive mistake and we're destroying our mistake now and we can you know can we be friends again everybody uh, <laughs> so yeah it's a two it's weird isn't it um, yeah but this point where we add up all our scores so adding all our scores up um, it looks like Herman gave it 22 Grant gave it 27 I gave it 22 which we have to 11 and we add all those together and it looks like a grand total of 60 wow 60 so mm. yeah. Oof. Oof. now wait a minute I, I forgot Paul how does this compare to Flashpoint can you remember the, the score for Flashpoint I can't remember it even though I, I listened to it like a week ago this is way lower than Flashpoint right uh, yes, it is way lower than Flashpoint, oh. and I think that was a oh. uh, Flashpoint story people liked, and the impact of it was, um, yeah, something mm. yeah, more notable. Down. Where this landed, it is basically 60 on the table, which is one better than Brightest Day, and a few worse than Armageddon 2001, so it's 22nd <laughs> wow. on the ladder. <laughs> Whoa. That's okay. crazy. I actually liked Brightest Day, so that's really <laughs> Yeah, funny. me too. I, I like Brightest Day too. I mean, obviously... Um, it wasn't great, but it was okay, yeah. I think the mistake we did on the Brightest Day was making people reread it. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of rereading. Yeah, experiencing it, it in uh, as it comes out. I, I was a new parent at the time, and I think I was kind of punch drunk while I was reading it from exhaustion. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a good point you make, Paul. Like, if you read it month to month or or week to week, it's 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 kind of better. If you kind of have to read it in a big chunk, yeah, you know, for review purposes, it's it must be hell. Anyway, so that's where that comes through. So if you want to uh, you see the table, you can go to waitingfordoom.com and have a look at it. And we did get some feedback on our last show, which was uh, Flashpoint. So we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey from Ireland. He said, Happy New Year to the DCOCD crew. Another excellent show, and Martin provided some great insights into the Flashpoint event. As mentioned on the show, and by Tim in his comment, the legacy of Flashpoint was probably blighted by what happened in the New 52. Mm. <laughs> Taking the New 52 away, Flashpoint gave a very good Elseworlds story with a grounding in the DCU. The Flashpoint event was very good in that it was, for the most part, self-contained in the series, 
but gave out enough nuggets so if you wanted to explore that you could go into one of the miniseries want to see Deathstroke as pirate want to see Lois Lane under her undercover role go to those miniseries and so on apart from Booster Gold which explored the Flashpoint world quite well no current DC Universe series was involved allowing those stories to make their conclusions before New 52 arrived it will be interesting to see your coverage of New 52 event and what discussions will come out of it looking forward to it already well here you go (laughs) there it is Jimmy well, Jimmy, I hope we didn't disappoint you. <laughs> he sounds like a fairly optimistic uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, and we also got a comment on Brightest Day from Ryan Walters, and he said, uh, Dear Waiting for Doom, I still have my single issues of Brightest Day, and every time I come across one going through my books, I get a little angry. It reminds me to avoid events at all costs. The same with Amazon's attack. Thank you for reviewing all the events I skipped you know, or tried to skip but didn't. Happy New Year from Ryan. <laughs> Brilliant. (laughs) Uh, We also heard from Tim Price, and he said, I'd forgotten that I bought the main series on a Comixology sale a few years back. This is for Flashpoint. I agree that this was a darn good read. I never got around to reading the time, so I'll have to give that a try. As for its general rep, that pretty simply happened from a dislike of New 52, thus the Flashpoint jokes. Personally, I wasn't happy that it coincided with the cancellation of my favourite DC series at the time, Doom Patrol, Volume 5. Yes, unfortunate association, that. Great show, as always. Yeah, Doom Patrol was one of the victims of the new Flashpoint, wasn't it? Hmm. Oh, yeah, it didn't appear. We we didn't even mention that. That's weird. (laughs) That's that's almost a complete deal-breaker. Yeah. And we also heard from Dr. Ange on Flashpoint, and he said, Great review of the series. You know a show has done its job when I am actually am thinking of rereading the books covered. As I recall, the book was often relatively panned, called Flashpoint Online. I do think that the violence of the series as a whole, and that the unholy baby of the New 52 was birthed from the series, made me want to forget it more than I remember. In particular, I remember disliking Shade the Changing Man series, as a surprise since Shade is a true favourite of mine. Hearing Mark praise it made me think I might need to look at it again. I can also tell you that I did like the Superman miniseries, a sort of DCU Dragon Ball Z mashup, a world where General Lane looked on at Cal as a son. Intriguing. All this said, how did it get such high points for Legacy? The whole thing came and went. As always, great to hear, Mart, and you guys. Happy New Year. Wow. I'm interested in, in hearing what Ange might have thought of Supergirl in the New 52. Oh. <laughs> I hope he leaves some feedback about that. Yeah, I'm sure he will. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that's it for feedback. If you want to leave us feedback, the best place to do that is at uh, waitingfordoom.com or you can send us uh, Twitter comments at DCOCDcast and then, of course, there's DCOCDcast at gmail.com. And uh, thanks, everybody, for helping. Thanks, Herman. Thanks, Grant. It was fabulous. We had, I think we had a really good in-depth conversation on this one. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Next time on DCOCD, I think we're going to dive into just to have a, a micro look at uh, one of the small events of uh, New 52, and that will be Rot World. Um, but I think next time it will be a Waiting for Doom, and we're probably going to look at Doom Patrol and talk about the Doom Patrol in that Waiting for Doom, um, if I'm correct. <laughs> yeah, but where can people get in touch with you, Grant? Um, I am on Twitter at what would underscore cap do, and that's where I talk about. Uh, comics in general, Captain America specifically, I plug my show, The Sentinel of Liberty, a Captain America podcast, and I talk about what would Cap do, which is my personal philosophy of mental, emotional, and physical development. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. 
much more healthy than what would Swamp Thing do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kill eco people. Yeah, yeah. Destroy humanity. <laughs> and what about you, Herman? Okay, I'm also at uh, on Twitter at Dark Longbox, and uh, Grant and I, our show that we started uh, Into the Weird, is also there on Twitter at Into Weird. And then um, we also have a website that Grant and I founded called SinkIntoTheWeird.com. Um, obviously, all the stuff uh, is related to the podcast Into the Weird. And then my uh, Dark Longbox Twitter account is related to my other podcast, which is The Longbox of Darkness, where I focus on horror comics from every publisher. And um, I still want to get you on one day, Paul, to discuss uh, <laughs> the, the Doom Patrol, because Doom Patrol, that is borderline horror. Yes. In most cases. So from a from a horror perspective, uh, we can discuss Doom Patrol. <laughs> so <laughs> That'd be awesome. One day. So yeah, check that out, uh, listeners, if if you're of a mind. Oh, and Into the Weird, by the way, is a is a Marvel Bronze Age podcast where we discussed yeah. kind of the more uh, counterculture stuff like early defenders, Doctor Strange, uh, mm. Man Thing, and stuff like that. Uh, I am right. no longer uh, you know, necessarily associated with the show because I don't have the time to collaborate very often, but our buddy Billy D has stepped in to take my place. Yeah, Billy Delicious from uh, yeah. on Twitter as well. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent listen and lots of fun. Uh, you guys really. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> fun with Thanks, everything. man. <laughs> no worries. All right, we'll see you all next time on DCOCD. Let's take a chance and fly.